Hi, podcast listeners. I'm Mary Harris, WNYC's health editor. For six months, we focused on cancer and how many of us are touched by it. One in two men, one in three women will get this diagnosis. This piece aired on Morning Edition. Immediately following a diagnosis of terminal cancer, there's the inevitable question of how much time is left. A cancer prognosis is excruciating to receive and to give. As part of our series Living Cancer, Amanda Aronchik from member station WNYC looks at how some doctors are trying to make this conversation a little easier for everyone. Heather Lake did not want to know her prognosis when she was diagnosed with stage 4 stomach cancer. I know stage 4 was just a matter of time, so I didn't want to. She didn't know, but her family did. She overheard her daughter on the phone telling a friend that the doctor gave her just four to six months to live. I say, you could have told me. Four to six months has passed. Next month is five years. Heather Lake was given months to live five years ago. Now she thinks her prognosis was meaningless, and she's glad the doctor never told her. I think that would have killed me because I would have been dwelling on that. I wonder today is the day I'm going to die. I don't even like to think about it. These prognostic conversations drive patients and their families crazy. Dr. Tomer Levine is a psychiatrist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. He says the first problem is just hearing what the doctor has said in the first place. If a person is very anxious, they may hear cancer and everything else becomes blah, blah, blah. Studies show that when patients are told their cancer prognosis, they retain less than half of what their doctor tells them. Many patients walk out of their appointments thinking they've been given an expiration date, like they're a half gallon of milk. It's not just one number that you can give to a patient. You can't say to a patient, you've got 12 months left to live, like in the movies. You said that a doctor can't say it's going to be 12 months to live, but they do all the time. Well, I think what is happening is that the patient's here 12 months. What the doctor is saying is that you have a 12-month median survival. Median survival. So it's the middle of a range. That means that if you have 100 similar patients, same cancer, roughly the same age, in 12 months' time, 50 of those patients will be dead, and 50 will still be alive. It's not as though 100 patients expire on some exact date, but that's often how patients understand it. If a patient understands that they have 12 months left to live and they die within 11 months, they feel cheated. Well, you know, you told me that I had 12 months. I still had things to do. On the other hand, if a patient lives for 13 months, then he thinks, gosh, there's just no point. I've done everything. I've taken my cruise. I've, I've said my goodbyes. I'm just waiting to die. And that, again, is time wasted. Dr. Levine thinks patients need to think about their prognosis differently. And so do doctors. So who can give me a, an example of a difficult prognostic discussion or complicated one? He teaches a communication skills workshop for people who work with cancer patients. Today's class is Discussing Prognosis, and it's attended by three doctors, including Dr. Afshin Iqbal. She specializes in lung cancer. I had a really young kid who was 29 with stage 4 lung cancer. He had started smoking. She told the group was, about a patient she had seen uh, with like a very poor prognosis. School, he was really sick. And I started crying when I was talking to the mom who, you know, very easily could have been my mom. And only then did the 29-year-old who was like on his phone, texting while I was talking to him, like not really understanding. She never cries at work, crying, he, but he was her youngest patient so far. And I was new. Anyhow, so they didn't come back to me. Balancing realism and hope is difficult. Dr. Levine describes three kinds of doctors. There's the avoider, who dodges difficult conversations. There's Dr. Death, who goes into agonizing detail about every possible bad outcome. And then there's the optimist 
Most doctors fall into this last category. And according to recent data, sometimes the better they know the patient, the more optimistic and wrong they get the prognosis. It's the tyranny of positive thinking. Everyone says, it'll be okay. Think positive. And so the person turns around to his wife and says, well, um, honey, what happens if I die from this? And his wife says, look, don't worry about that. Just think positive. And the end result is that the patient is left alone with his fear of dying. These classes teach the doctors to talk about death while also maintaining hope. Hope is not just a feeling. One in 10 patients do really well. So Dr. Levine suggests they present patients with a best case, worst case, and most likely scenario. So I want to explain a few numbers because... Another of the students, Dr. Asma Latif, is role-playing giving a prognosis. The patient isn't real, she's an actress, pretending to be a 42-year-old with stage 3 ovarian cancer. So the goal of the treatment is to cure the cancer. Yes. But we know that often that's not possible. And actually the most likely scenario is that we don't cure the cancer and that, can I do a timeout? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how to like recover from this. Dr. Latif was struggling with explaining the prognosis for a cancer with a wide range of outcomes. It could progress quickly and the patient might die within six months or she could be cured and live her entire natural life. It's a bit like saying it's going to snow and it's going to be sunny and it's going to be windy today. This is exactly the challenge. So if you are expecting extremes of weather, let's say you have to be in three different cities within a short period of time, you have to pack appropriately. Dr. Levine says patients need to be ready for extremes. The point of a prognosis is to help you plan for the worst and the best. Look at Heather Lake, the five-year stomach cancer survivor. On the day I met her, she was at the Queen's Cancer Center in New York for her regular shot. It's for the bone marrow, the cells, the white blood cells. But you haven't been doing chemo every other week for five years. Yes. For five years? Yes. You're kidding me. No, I'm not. That's a lot. It is a lot. You know, I've gotten accustomed. This is how the life is. I'm just dealing with it. Not all new cancer treatments are easy. But Heather Lake has stuck with it, and she's done remarkably well. Even Linda Ballone, the nurse who convinced her to try it, couldn't have predicted that Heather Lake would still be alive and happy today. She'll tell you more than anyone. She has a great social life. She actually has a better social life than me. I live vicariously through Heather. <laughs> she just got back from Trinidad, right? From Vegas. Oh, from Vegas. Vegas okay. I can't keep up. I'm going to Trinidad in November. All her travels. And we work her, she works her treatment around her travels, but she knows that that's what's keeping her doing these travels. Malone doesn't have a lot of patients like Heather Lake. Her grim prognosis, just four to six months to live, was based on data from the past. It didn't anticipate this new treatment or how well she would do. She outlived the study. Not only outlived, but look how beautiful and terrific she is. For NPR News, I'm Amanda Aronchik in New York. That story is part of our series, Living Cancer. It's produced with member station WNYC and also with WETA, whose documentary, Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies, will air on PBS next month. Support for Living Cancer is provided by the Susan and Peter Solomon Family Foundation. Additional funding for WNYC's medical science reporting is provided by the Iris and Junming Lee Foundation.